Good Thursday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville show. It's great to be with you in, in, in downtown Charlottesville. Um, I truly enjoy connecting with you guys through the I Love Seville network. It is, it is our pleasure. Um, this is hard work. <laughs> Why don't we go straight to a two-shot, and then I'll, I'll give you a snapshot with the hard work that we're talking about here. Why don't we give them a glimpse into what goes into the I Love Seville show? You and I have two different roles we play with the I Love Seville show, right? I try to originate and, or, or aggregate or create or collect the content, right, for what yeah. we're going to discuss on the show. I book the interviews and the guests for the show. I write the headlines that we'll see on screen for the show and, you know, host the program, right? Yeah. You are in just as valuable or as important to the program. You've, in a lot of ways, become a co-host when we don't have guests. Some of my favorite shows, and how do you feel, viewers and listeners? Some of my favorite shows are when it's Judah and I and we don't have a guest. I love chatting with guests. In a lot of ways, having the guests on the show makes the program easier for me. Does it make it easier for you? Sometimes. Less time-consuming. Yeah. Um, Mostly. Sometimes there's scrambling to get people connected on, you know... On social. Yeah. Yeah. And... uh, I will say this. When there is no guest... And it's us running headlines and commentary and collecting, aggregating, and originating the news. It's extremely difficult um, because you're working your sources. You're, I'm working my sources. I'm working my contacts. I'm trying to figure out what's important to relay to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, give them a glimpse of what you do pre and post show. Oh, man. I mean, uh, when we have guests, it's, you know, like I said, getting people connected, getting them on the Facebook, getting their, uh, getting their uh, Facebook pages set on our, on our system so that we can stream there. Uh, then there's all the changes that Facebook makes, which uh, has currently been messing with uh, our system so that sometimes we can't go to someone's, uh, someone's business page unless we uh, invite someone else as an admin. It's very strange. Then, of course, afterwards, there's taking the video, uh, cutting it down so that, uh, so that we can get it onto YouTube. On all on, the social channels. Getting it onto YouTube. Yeah, all getting of them. Getting the, uh, the sound portion of it onto SoundCloud so it ends up on iTunes. Uh, you know, getting, uh, getting the images ready for, uh, for the blog post. Um, links, just all kinds of uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, I guess what we're saying is we work, we we put a lot of effort into this, both Judah and I, and and offer some feedback, viewers and listeners. Do you like it best when we do guests? Do you like it best when it's Judah and I offering commentary and 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 breaking news or analyzing the news? Like, what is your preferred version of this show? Do you like to see a little mix of both? Where on certain days, for instance, I had drinks with Deep Throat. I think Deep Throat's watching the program now. I had drinks with Deep Throat. He had a Diet Coke. He had many Diet Cokes. I had an old-fashioned and then a cold beer. 
and he mentioned that he, he offered a, a number of good suggestions. One of them was very obvious, saying you guys should start the program right at 1230. Do not start it late. So since he offered that commentary, we've been starting right at 1230. And we've known we should do that. It's just a lot goes into the show, and sometimes we start a little bit late. He also came up with the suggestion, why don't you have one or two days a week that are set where you interview people? And we just know those are the days for interviews. I've heard this piece of feedback from so many viewers and listeners. On Friday, we should do a recap show. My wife's made this suggestion. I've heard it from moms. I've heard it from dads, viewers, listeners. Friday should be a recap show, highlights from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So people know it's kind of like this synopsis of what transpired during the week. So we are as good as the feedback we receive from you. Um, So... If you could offer some perspective, that would be great. Ginny Hu says on Twitter, I like mostly you and Judah with guests once or twice a week, and she loves it when Judah shares her thoughts. And I'm going to respond. I mentioned this. Thank you. Live on air to J-Dubs and the viewers and listeners and send the response back. So what what is your preference, viewers and listeners? Do you like it when it's the two of us? Do you like a little mix of guests? And I mean, I'm curious of your feedback. Um, why don't we put the first lower third? Um, Keith Smith is a handsome gentleman. Johnny Ornalis put it in the feed. Johnny, I enjoyed getting drinks with you on Tuesday at Vivace. Big things on the horizon with your brand and your restaurants, my friend. Janice Boyce Trevilian says a mix of both. Yesterday's show, the guest was really good. I love guests, but it's also also fun to have the two of you bouncing topics off of each other. Why don't we talk about the Almoral County Public Schools topic? Yeah. Let's do this. Let's create, and viewers and listeners, tag mom and dads or teachers or administrators and say, you need to listen to Jerry and Judah. They're talking about what's going wrong with Almoral County Public Schools since pandemic or the COVID, okay? Or, or, or concerns we have, right? So what's the headline we're going to have here? Here are the concerns we have with Almaro County Public Schools since the COVID pandemic, okay? Number one, I think it's safe to say that remote learning or learning, and it's not just unique to Almaro, school systems across the country, so we're not throwing shade, we're just highlighting facts. Remote learning and learning through a computer did not work well. It set a generation of students back. Um, and that's to be expected. I mean, when you're elementary school or middle school or high school, you need to be around your peers. Your brain is still developing. And school is as much about algebra and history and calculus and geometry as it is about social awareness and interacting with people and learning proper behavior and how to be in a a, a setting with a lot of people or a small group setting. That aspect of, of, of social skill development was completely eviscerated with remote learning. And another thing that I think, um, I was talking with the teacher, and I'm, I'm not going to blow up her spot. She was a teacher at a prominent, a prominent private school, and she's a foreign language teacher. She teaches French. And she said when the kids returned to school and they had to wear the masks while in school, 
it made teaching French so extremely difficult for her because the kids not only relied on the sound, but they relied on seeing her mouth and her lips move right. to learn the language. Yeah. And she realized when she was teaching French to her students, whether French 1, French 2, French 3, French 4, French 5, with the mask on, Judith, the teacher could not, they couldn't see her, her lips. Right. I'm sure it's far more, I'm sure it's far more important than we actually realize. And, and we it, take it for granted. Yeah. It wasn't until, until everybody was wearing masks that uh, teachers probably did start to realize that seeing your mouth helps kids understand how to pronounce something. Cause it's not just hearing the sound and copycatting. It's hearing the sound and also seeing <clears throat> how the sound is formed on someone else's, on someone else's lips. And, uh, and not seeing that, uh, can, I'm sure it can be a, a major hurdle. Right. Right. So we'll, we'll say first bullet point, since COVID, since the onset of the pandemic, remote learning did not work well. My second bullet point... I'm, I'm, I'm also sure that some people were less affected than others. I'm sure there were, you know, there are people like me, people who are uh, more uh, introverted, who while they may have, while the, uh, while the loss of, uh, of personal interaction with, with friends and other students may have been impactful, I'm, I'm sure... Uh, you know, there are, there were probably a bunch of kids who just, you know, who continued doing their homework, continued, uh, you know, doing their own thing and were less affected by others. Whereas there are people like you who probably like really struggled not being able to be around people. Oh my God. I mean, we worked throughout COVID. We had guests in studio throughout COVID. Yeah. I was playing racket sports throughout the pandemic and people were like, what the hell are you doing? But even my wife who's incredibly protective of our children, our, our boys, she said, I understand that with your personality and the fact that you feed off being around people, you have to go out during COVID and the pandemic and get the energy that you need to make it through the day from being around others. Even yeah. my wife, who holds me accountable in every aspect of life, literally every aspect of life, she said, I understand that you need to do this. Yeah. And then there are other kids that, you know, it may have just been a, uh, it may, may have just been a case of uh, of needing that uh, that one on one attention of a teacher. Uh, you know, taking learning math or science, and I think sometimes you probably just some kids probably just need someone to look over their shoulder and say, "Okay, I see what you're doing here, and you're on the right track." But you know, here's how you. Here's how you can improve, uh, you know, here's how you need to look at the equation or whatever it is and just have that kind of, you know, interaction, uh, not so much needing the personal, uh, but, you know, not so much needing the, uh, the person to person, but more just needing someone there who can see what they're doing, who can, you know, help guide them. And I'm sure that was, you know, there are as many different kinds of kids as there are adults and they all have different needs and uh and so yeah i'm sure that uh you know not everybody was harmed in the same way by by uh being forced to stay home laura but, payne says she likes both guests and judah and i going back and forth kevin yancey says in this market 
there are limited there's a very limited pool of guests worthy of being on this show i disagree with that comment yeah i think everyone has kevin i respectfully disagree um something that resonate has resonated with me is something that oprah winfrey used to say all the time and oprah used to say everyone wants to be heard seen and understood and i'll take it a step further further than oprah not only does everyone want to be heard seen and understood but everyone has a story that's worth telling and if there's if you have an interviewer or a host that's skilled enough and i've been doing this for 23 years now literally started broadcasting and being behind a microphone summer before my third year at the university of virginia if you have a host that's skilled enough to interview people he or she will always be able to get the story from the guest or the interviewee in a ma- in a manner that's compelling for the audience everyone has a story to tell so i i mentioned this comment on air kevin um but i respectfully disagree i appreciate your comment um uh laura payne for feedback on the show I, I want to continue what I'm seeing that's been concerning with Almaro County Schools. Not only did remote learning did not work well, I think the implementation of wearing masks in school was disastrous. And it's a level of collateral damage that we're still trying to decipher. We're yeah. still trying to figure out the collateral damage of, of, of brains and minds that are not fully developed wearing these masks that now we know offered little protection against the pandemic and these masks what they did to folks from a social skills standpoint from a language standpoint linguistic standpoint from reading social cues standpoint from from just assimilation into adulthood standpoint i think few there they're probably will be very few times moving forward in our lifetime Judenai's lifetime we're relatively relatively the same age in our 40s where the government's going to lock us down again insist that we stay in our homes yeah insist that people wear masks like they've done required yeah. almost by law i don't think that's going to happen again and i know there's a presidential election on the horizon and it scares the he double hockey sticks of how things like this could be manipulated again for the purpose of politics and the purpose of getting someone into a white house i know there's an election on the horizon but i don't think the american public is going to tolerate that again i think yeah. a third item on this punch list of what we're concerned about with almaro county public schools is clearly the gap between the haves and the have nots when it comes to schooling has widened significantly you look at the bellwether report children of color and children from families that are working on and around the poverty line the gap between these demographics and the children that come from two parent households wealthy households has only widened why is that do you think do you think that's I, 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 what I, what I see oftentimes, you know, we see now now on social media, we see videos of uh, of you know, fights in classes and and disruptions in classes, and is that 
I wonder if kids get caught up. I wonder if especially lower income kids get caught up too much in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, this kind of like, uh, showing off for your friends, you know, like almost, I, I know there's a, I know there's, I know there's a thing where, where some kids feel like they have, feel like being bad at school is like a badge among yeah, their, it's cool. among their friends. Yeah, some kids feel that. And does I wonder if that shows up more in lower income, uh, lower income kids than it does in you know you don't I don't know that we see a lot of that kind of thing in you know in private schools and things like that. And I don't necessarily think it's because well, I just don't think the private school will tolerate it. That's that may be. The, yep. pri- the private school can choose who can stay and who can go. It's like Barracks Road Shopping Center. Why do we not see homelessness and panhandling at Barracks Road Shopping Center? Because it's a private shopping plaza, and they have a private security system in play, and that private security system with the private shopping plaza tells vagrants, hmm. homeless panhandlers, you can't do this, and if you don't leave, you will be arrested for trespassing. With private schools, if there's not a level of standards or performance, whether academic, behavioral, behavior standards, academic standards, there's, look, you're not going to come back. We're not going to grant you another year of schooling here. Find somewhere else to go. So so maybe the question is, how do we we, uh, not imitate that? Because obviously we don't want to kick, we don't want to kick kids out of school altogether, but... uh, there, I mean, there must be a way to. Somebody must have thought of this and or seen the problem. Well, as like it think is. about it like this: during the pandemic and COVID, when it was remote learning, we saw children from resourced families pull their resources together and literally hire an educator to teach in the cul-de-sac or in the backyard or rotate a teaching environment from people's houses that were on a street. Yeah. We saw tutoring become more prolific than ever. We saw resource kids get you know, digital opportunities with apps and, and digital textbooks and digital learning environments become extremely prolific. Coursera became even more popular, a digital um, learning environment. So the resource had an opportunities had had the opportunity to fill in the gap during COVID. So when they came out of the pandemic, I, I they w- were not as far f- on, far behind on the educational spectrum. I get some of that, but something like Coursera, I would think, is not far too different from uh, from I don't know schooling via Zoom or Skype. I mean, you still have to read your homework. But you like, still have to do your homework. Coursera, Coursera was created, and, and this is in a lot of ways what got Teresa Sullivan um, ousted at the University of Virginia. Hmm. Helen Dragas, the chairwoman of the Board of Visitors of UVA, was a huge proponent. She was adamant that Coursera was the future of the University of Virginia. 
Terry Sullivan wanted to keep the University of Virginia in its traditional setting of going to brick and mortar classrooms and learning from professors in person. Dragas, in the grand scheme of things, is probably right. Because if you have esteemed faculty doing their, their courses and their lesson planning and their teaching online, then you can open up a University of Virginia education to anyone anywhere in the world, and UVA can drive even more revenue. That's while I fair. think Dragas That's is fair. right, while I think Dragas is right, I think Dragas was ahead of her time. I don't think right now us as a human, you know, us as mankind, us as men and women, and 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 college students want the Coursera approach. But when my son who's very much gone through this ditch, he's, he, our oldest is five years old, who's lived this COVID world, this digital world, by the time he gets to college, you're going to have meta, you're going to have uh, meta with this metaverse, you're going to have AI, you're going to have Coursera, you're going to have remote learning, be so approachable and ubiquitous that he's going to go into college with the mindset, yes, I can do it. But there's a huge difference between an 18 to 22-year-old or even a graduate student and one that's in elementary, middle, or even high school when it comes to learning. It is much easier for someone that's a professional to do a hybrid work environment because they can still get done. They have the due diligence, the stick the maturation, self-control. the self-control, the willingness to perform. Dude, when I was in high school... I went to a small Catholic school in Williamsburg, Virginia. Our graduating class was 52 people. I got into the University of Virginia early admission along with like 21 other of my classmates. It was extremely academically rigorous. But if it wasn't for the Sisters of Mercy or literally nuns that taught us, Sisters of Mercy out of Philadelphia, or if it wasn't the faculty, faculty that had institutional memory that had spent decades at Walsingham Academy, if it wasn't them grinding me, like literally stick, staying on top of me, like saying, Mr. Miller, where's your work? Mr. Miller, what are you doing? Mr. Miller, what's going on? Stop goofing around. Stop looking at the girls. Stop getting into trouble. Why are you late for class? I was not mature enough to do it on myself. But because I had these nuns and these teachers with institutional memory grinding me, I finished with a 4.0 plus GPA and 14.80 on my SATs and did the AP exam on five different subjects and placed out of a lot of subject matter my first year at the University of Virginia. But it was because of this t- the teachers seeing potential. It was not because of me. I don't finish your thought. Where do you want to go? So you're basically saying that Coursera is uh, is more uh, more applicable and helpful to uh, to college students than it would be to uh, to elementary and thousand percent high, high school students. That's fair. Thousand percent. I mean, everyone's like, we we want this hybrid or remote work environment. Hybrid and remote work that works just fine if people get their work done. And from what we can tell, people are getting their work done now. But can you imagine uh, a teenager working in a hybrid setting from a productivity standpoint? I would imagine a teenager, if they were told to work remotely, would not be as productive as someone who's 30 years old. So the third item that that is on my list, here are the concerns we have with Alboro County Public Schools since COVID. Remote learning did not work out. As a result of remote learning did not work out. The gap between children with resources and children with no resources widen. 
the implementation or the demand that ma- that masks be worn in schools proved to be, with the benefit of hindsight, disastrous implementation. Yeah. Another concern that's happened since COVID, this was not prevalent in 2019 before the pandemic. In 2019, you had kids getting to and from school on time with bus routes and, public, and, and school bus transportation. Now, since COVID and the pandemic, folks have not wanted to, to, to drive buses, either because the kids are not behaving, maybe there's concerns about their health while driving a bus, they're in a tin can with 40 kids, <laughs> or maybe well, they're underpaid, or well, maybe they're not treated well by management. Yeah, I think, I think it's... I Transportation think it's, worsened for public I, schools, especially Almora County. Well, if you think about it, uh, I think a lot of those drivers were, were maybe either close to or, or after uh, retirement age. Uh, you know, it's not really a full-time job, even though it kind of takes your whole day. I mean, you've got to be there for the morning and then there for the evening or the afternoon. And uh, we, may have, uh, we may have lost a lot of people due to the pandemic. And some of those may have been bus drivers. We also lost bus drivers like uh, um, what's what's his name? Uh, Earl he, Smith. Yeah, he and his uh, he and his coworker, who both refused to get the get the vaccinated, vaccine. and were summarily dismissed by the school system. So there's two sources of loss of drivers, and it's not like. It's not like there's a, a, a wide and growing population of people who just happen to have a CDL licenses right. and have the desire or even the the ability. I mean, if you're not you're not working full time, I don't know what it pays. I don't know if it pays hourly or if it's, uh, it's like twenty bucks an hour, and it's not full time wage. Right. So and there's this uncomfortable downtime where the drivers who drive the kids to school in the morning then have to take this, the kids to school home in the afternoon. But there's not often for these drivers who don't live, for the most part, in Almaro County or Charlottesville City yeah. because of affordability issues. Yeah. They don't have the time to head home when they're living in the outer counties. So, so they have to just around. hang out around the, the, public, the, the school bus headquarters. So it's essentially... Unpaid. Yeah, so it's essentially off the clock. a full-time job that pays half, half the half time, time wage. you work. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's not really a leap of uh, it's not really a leap of logic to understand why they're having uh, having issues now. Right, right. So you ha- very well outlined, very well outlined. Um, Dylan's rule. We'll get to your tweets in a matter of moments. Ginny Hu said, "I immediately went into mama bear mode during COVID and the pandemic, trying to keep my children's lives as normal as possible. This meant spending as much time as we could outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. Wow." Um, I totally understand that. Can can she expand on that? Why outside of Charlottesville, Virginia? Yeah, Ginny, who that that's a great question. I don't know that Charlottesville was particularly uh, unique in in how in how COVID affected us. Uh, well, I think this is what she means, and I don't want to answer for her, but please expand on your thoughts there, Ginny, who on Twitter. I think what she means during the the peak of the pandemic, Charlottesville was an epicenter for embracing. COVID mitigation strategies where it was required, you had to wear a mask anywhere you went. 
folks, folks living, folks living, folks staying at home on lockdown. Where that was that was uh, had tremendous momentum behind it in Charlottesville. The remote learning with public schools was very much embraced by CPS and ACPS, where other school systems and other states. I mean, look at what Florida did. Yeah, but she wasn't Florida's saying the she, opposite of what happened in Charlottesville. She wasn't saying that she was taking her student, her kids to other schools. No, I think what she means is she was taking their kids outside of Charlottesville city limits into jurisdictions that were not as scared of COVID. I think that's what she means right there. Dylan's rule says this. One, Jerry, I know that COVID was unexpected, but the two ACPS teachers I know complained that they received almost no training when forced to teach online. If ACPS and the school board decided to go remote, they should have ponied up the funds to provide adequate training. Amen. In fact, I'm going to retweet this. That's a good point. Uh, I'm going to quote retweet this. Amen. And then Dylan's rule says... Teachers, um, adequate training for teachers on how to teach remotely. That did not happen. And Ginny Hu responds to your question. Ginny Hu says, oh, yes, Charlottesville was unique in its response. Areas such as the Tidewater, the Eastern Shore, and Lynchburg wanted to live life normally, and only those who truly needed protective measures used them. And that's how it should have been. Hmm. Louisa County embraced that philosophy. And Louisa County doesn't have a bus driver shortage. And I would bet you the gap between the haves and the have-nots in Louisa County did not widen at the same delta or extreme or frequency or clip that had happened in Charlottesville and ACPS. That's Charlottesville fair. Public Schools and Albemarle County Public Schools embraced and championed every COVID mitigation strategy possible to the thousandth degree, where other school systems did not. So we're talking about the concerns we've have of ACPS since the pandemic. Remote learning did not work out well. That's number one. As a result of that, the gap between children with resources and no resources widened. The implementation of wearing masks was absolutely disastrous. The collateral damage, we're still deciphering the collateral damage of that. We're by no, no means, no, we have, by no means do we know the significance of that collateral damage. The public, the uh, school bus transportation with ACPS became, for lack of a better phrase, an absolute shit show. And still, three years later, it's still yeah. a crap show. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I've heard that five school bus drivers have now quit since the start of the year. Wow. Do we have, do we have a reason? Well, I do know that a lot of, because the, they send me DMs. A lot of the school bus drivers that are picking up kids are getting screamed at about the, from the parents at pick up, pick up uh, and drop off because the parents think it's the bus drivers that are causing the shortage and uh, going late to school on time and getting them home on time late when it's not the drivers. The drivers are middle management. Yeah, They're not even middle management. <laughs> They're that's the not, frontline employees. That's not really manufactured outrage. That's more just... Idiocy idiotic that's idiocy and it's absolute idiocy right there to blame this on the drivers and not to blame it on the head of the transportation department and or dr haas and his cabinet and that leads me into my next um number five is the political climate or the the level of frustration with dr haas not at an all-time high 
He literally has a petition circulating yeah. by Paul MacArthur. Let's see how many signatures Paul's petition has now. We're going to go see how many um, signatures Paul MacArthur's petition has. The petition Paul MacArthur, Southside Charlottesville, has 985 signatures. There's 985 people that signed a petition that was created four days ago that says do not renew Dr. Haas's contract. I would think the level of frustration or disgruntlement or disenchantment or demoralization would be higher. No. Is that an all-time high when it comes to leadership in ACPS? Viewers and listeners, do you agree with that? Do you not think the level with not only just parents but teachers, school bus drivers as well, you have bus drivers literally saying on the record, we're treated like crap at the last school board meeting, and that's why we're not working anymore. I would say the level of, of, of quality of life, the level of happiness for teachers in classrooms is at a low point for ACPS right now. And that is a direct correlation for Dr. Haas. Jump in here, Judah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were talking about the numbers uh, the numbers of people that had signed yesterday, and I thought you were asking why there aren't more people who are... Uh, I'm surprised there's not more people. ...who are outraged with... Uh, with, with Haas. With Haas and the, uh, and the school board. And the reason I'm, I'm surprised there's not more people, and, and uh, Jason Howard, are you watching today, Jason Howard? Jason Howard put this on my radar. Jason Howard said, how many people voted in the at-large general election race? There's one seat on the school board that's not tied to a district. How many people voted in that race? And that's a comp for the petition signing. And I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. The school board race in 2019 had 19,265 people for Ocaro, who won the spot. Anne Elizabeth Oliver had 13,538 votes, and there were 375 for a write-in candidate. So 19,265 for Ocaro. Is it 23? 13,538 for Anne Elizabeth Oliver. And then 375 is 33,178 individual votes. So that kind of puts in perspective MacArthur's um, petition. If you had 33,178 Albemarle County residents vote in the 2019 at-large general election school board race and... Matthew Haas, his petition that MacArthur started has less than 1,000 signees, and those 1,000 signees, we cannot tell if those people live in Almaro County, and if those people are children, or just parents. With the 33,178 people that voted in the at-large seat in 2019, we know those people live in Almaro County, they're registered Almaro County voters, and we know they're adults 18 and over. And someone who's voting in a school board race is probably a lot older than 18 and most likely a parent of a student in Almar County Schools. Because oh, yeah. why else would you vote? Yeah. College students aren't voting in the school board race. Yeah. People without kids are not in the school system or not voting in the school board race. Mm-hmm. So Haas's petition has got less than 1,000 signatures over four days. 33,178 people voted in this election in 2019. 
I would almost make the argument that the Haas petition that's circulating strengthens his position with the school board to renew his contract. Could be. Because it's such light with signatures. Sarah Hill Buchensky and Crozet is offering some perspective. Sarah Hill, SHB I love when you watch the show. You often offer a perspective that's based on reason and common sense. She says there has to be some personal ownership and responsibility from the families and students and then accountability from the school system. And she also says how many teachers would sign the petition if they did not fear retribution? I think the teaching environment is so lacking in capable teachers that the retribution fear is not as realistic as it once was. Furthermore, ACPS is on the very near cusp of being unionized. And once these teachers are unionized, they're going to have even more leverage from retribution where it's an angry superintendent taking something out on them. Yeah. I mean, I think it was something like there was... To Tom Stargell, are you still watching the program? How many new teachers was it that started this year? I remember reading this somewhere. It was well over 200 new teachers, first-year teachers in ACPS. Let me respond to Sarah Hill. Sarah Hill, I love when SHB comments on the show. I read this live on air. So we're doing the punch list of what we're concerned about with ACPS Dr. Haas, the level of support for the superintendent, I think is at an all-time low. School bus transportation, the offerings or the ubiquitous nature of it, has undoubtedly worsened. A lot of people don't realize this. Albemarle County Public Schools, by the letter of the law, does not have to provide school bus transportation. One day, ACPS can come on out and say, we're not offering school bus transportation for anyone. And they may have to. And basically, we cannot solve this problem. We cannot offer an equitable approach to transportation. We understand the students that are most affected by our failure of offering equitable and approachable and ubiquitous transportation are the students that are living on the poverty line, around the poverty line, and those that are leaving in the, living in the deep pockets of Albemarle County away from the schools and because we can offer ubiquitous, approachable, and equitable transportation, we're going to cut this off altogether. Yeah. That very well could happen. And then that would lead to the privatization of transportation in Almar County. And frankly speaking, I am such a free market proponent that the privatization of transportation would be a more reliable source of transportation than, public, than school bus transportation. Because when you pay for a service... There is accountability. Yeah. There's accountability. When you get a service for free, almost as if it's a public utility, there is no accountability. Right. There is no commitment. It's certainly not at the level of the free market when you pay to play. What else do you see as the concerns we have for Almaro County? I highlighted the Bellwether report, the gap between white, wealthy students and students of uh, color and students that are living on the financial margin, that's undoubtedly widened. I would say schools since COVID, that's another one here, schools have become a political, have become political warfare. Political battlegrounds. What's that? Political battlegrounds. Yeah, there you go. That's even better. 
political battlegrounds. Before COVID, did schools determine a governor's race? Because public schools determine McAuliffe and Yunkin and who won that race. Yunkin was, beat McAuliffe. That was something unique, though. Why? Because I mean, McAuliffe stuck his foot in his mouth three times? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, McAuliffe was... And it's, it's, it's very strange behavior from McAuliffe, who's proven, has a proven track record of political victory and political success. For him to not once, but twice, but three times say that parents should have no say over their kids in public schools was a political gaffe of significant proportions. And Yunkin capitalized on that, and, and that, the, that gaffe sprung Yunkin into the governor's mansion. But you can legitimately say that schools have become political battlegrounds. Look at this. This uh, look at the Dr. Meg Bryce Allison Spillman general election race in Almore County School Board. Yeah. This race is going to be determined by this one topic: How do parents feel about communication with teachers and their kids and themselves? If voters think that parents should be 100% involved in communication with teachers and students, then Meg Bryce is going to win. If voters think that what happens in schools with teachers and students is something that stays in schools amongst teachers and students, then Allison Spillman's going to win. Isn't that kind of a mirror of, uh, of Yunkin and... Uh and uh, McAuliffe. Yeah, McAuliffe. The difference is, is Yunkin and McAuliffe was a Commonwealth-wide race where Bryce and Spillman are running in Albemarle County. And while Albemarle County has gone from blue to purple, it's still very much a shade of blue. Oh, yeah. I just meant the, uh, I just meant the, the topics are a, are a mirror of, that, uh, of those two ideologies. And whether, like... Uh, uh, McAuliffe says um, parents shouldn't have a say in what's going on in, uh, in their child's schooling. Ginny Who and put this on my radar. Ginny Who, I remember when you said this to me. Or when you tweeted this. And it's resonated with me ever since. There should be no secrets between teachers, students, and parents. Yeah, I agree. From kindergarten through senior year in high school, you have a triangle of communication. And at the top of the triangle are the teachers. On the left side of the equilateral triangle, the students, the bottom left, and on the bottom right, the parents. And there should be free-flowing communication from either side or either corner of the triangle, the equilateral triangle. It should be a triangle of communication. Yeah. And for folks to say that the communication should only go from teacher to student, student to teacher, and what a student says to the teacher can be on the DL and does not have to get back to the parents, I call BS on that. You don't keep secrets from parents. Now, there are circumstances where maybe you do, like a parent is um, abusing yeah. a student, and a student needs the, the, uh, the teacher as an, as an escape valve 
or in a way out of an abusive relationship? Oh, definitely. I, I, think, the, I think the problem is that uh, I, I believe the people arguing for cutting the parents out of the, uh, out of the equation feel like there are some parents who, uh, who are not good parents. There are you know, people that believe that a, a child wanting to come, come out uh, because that's a big issue uh, right now, feel that some parents, the, the reason that some kids need that, uh, need that privacy between the, the teacher or the school and themselves is because parents would react badly to those things. But I believe that, uh, I believe that those situations are, are, uh, special special use cases they're not the norm they're anomalies and we can't pretend like every parent is the uh is the criminal in this in this relationship bingo and and so and so treating all parents as criminals because some would react poorly to information like this is uh, is a disservice to everyone Bingo. Judah Wickhauer dropping dimes again. Give Judah Wickhauer some props right there by hammering the like button. Hammer the like button and give Judah Wickhauer some props. I think he's all over it. Here's a, here's a, I think what may be a strong comment from, um, from Deep Throat. Deep Throat, I love when you watch the program. Excited to see you today at 5.30 p.m. for dinner. Listen to this comment. Deep Throat on Twitter with the DM. I think if you took the personalities out of it and just voted on the issue of should parents be told if their child is asking to change gender, even Almoro County, as blue as it might be, the large majority of parents would say absolutely yes, parents should be told. Yeah. However, Meg Bryce, he says, which is sad to say, is probably not the right vessel for this message in Albemarle County. And he says, because political tribalism is so intense these days, many Albemarle County Democrats will simply never vote for someone associated with the late Supreme Court justice. Yeah. And he also says, and the unfortunate thing is, there are many people on the left, gay people, who are against the trans agenda, too bad it's not one of those people who chose to run. Yeah, that's fair. Do you buy that comment? And yeah, I think, and I don't want to speak I, for you. Definitely, I think tribalism affects all of our uh, all of our uh, our votes uh, too often. Uh, there are people that that just vote down the party line and don't actually uh, don't actually think about the issue at hand. Um, and I think that's definitely the case here. Do you buy his comment? Because, and I don't want to speak for you. Like, if you watch this program by now, viewers and listeners, you, you, you get an, an idea that I have a lot of respect for Dr. Bryce, her platform, and what she stands for. And I think she'll make a hell of a school board candidate. And, and while I try to keep what's close to, you know, close to my vest, who I'm going to vote for, I think she's got a lot of upside and a lot of potential. And, and what's most appealing to me about Dr. Bryce is not just her platform, but I want some diversity of thought on boards 
whether it's supervisors, school board, planning commission, whatever the hell it is. We need more diversity of thought. Independents, libertarians, yeah. conservatives, Democrats, socialists. Right now, all we have is, you know, left and far left on these boards and commissions. We need more centered. We need more slightly right of center. We need more right maybe more far right on these boards and commissions. And we yeah. don't have that right now. So that's frankly what's most appealing to me about Dr. Bryce is the potential of diversity of thought. Deep Throat makes this comment. I'm curious of your take. I'll offer a take as well. That maybe she isn't the right vessel because of the polarizing nature of her surname. Yeah, sadly, I think that's probably true. I, you know, there are obviously people that are reacting to... Uh, something that has nothing to do with her uh that being her uh you know her maiden name and her father and uh you know i i I don't know that there's anything that can be done you can't force people to uh to be reasonable you can't force people to uh to not be to tribalism is rooted in what the phrase you created or the phrase that you pontificated on yesterday tribalism is rooted on manufactured outrage i don't know if it's rooted in it but it's often i think the cause of it um what's the difference well you're it, you make it sound like uh manufactured outrage is the start and it leads to uh tribalism and Deep Throat says he's donated money to Meg Bryce, to be clear. Mm. He's literally given his money to Meg Bryce in the campaign. Yeah, well, he's not saying that he doesn't think that she's suitable for the role. He's, oh, no. He's basically saying he would vote for her. He's saying that, uh, that he, sees, he sees the facts of her parentage as problematic, not because they are problematic, but because it'll cause this manufactured outrage and tribalism and tribalism exactly that's what he's saying yeah that's what he's saying and i think that's a legitimate point yeah definitely I, especially in almoral county yeah i mean it's the same it's the same reason why uh why someone like uh like bellamy brown had had a problem in in charlottesville well, I think Bellamy Brown, if he had run in 2019 when he ran for city council, if he had run as a Democrat, and he ran as a Democrat in the House of Delegates where he lost to Katrina Coulson. Well, that's what I was talking about. And that's the, the point is that really I, I think anybody that looks at, uh, at Bellamy Brown sees that he would be a, not just a suitable candidate, but an incredible, you know, an incredible person to have in our, uh, in our local government. But... You just can't run as anything but a Democrat in this area, or the tribalism beats you down. Right. It's got nothing to do with a person's uh, qualifications or abilities. And we'll it see. Is- we'll see how purple this election is with T.J. Fatally and the B. Lapisto Kirtley Rivanna District Albemarle County Board of Supervisors race, and the Dr. Meg Bryce. Allison Spillman general election race. And I'm going to be very straightforward here, and this is, this is about me. I had every intent of running for Almoral County Board of Supervisors against Michael Pruitt and the Scottsville District. 
and I had the approval and the, and the blessing of my wife and my family to do this. And then our youngest child was born on Thanksgiving, just after Thanksgiving, and proceeded not to sleep for seven and a half months, literally did not sleep through the night for seven and a half months, and it caused friction within the family, stress. We were not sleeping. It was Mm -hmm. miserable for seven and a half months. And because of that, I chose not to run for board of supervisors. It was not the right time for my family to do that. If I had run for Albemarle County Board of Supervisors, I think this election, school board and board of supervisors race, would have been completely different. Because what would have happened, we, I, I think you would have seen a platform or a ticket basically emerge with TJ, maybe Dr. Bryce, myself, yeah. maybe Brad Rickle. So essentially uh, circling the wagons. It would have had a different level of interest because of this platform's reach. The tribalism or the manufactured outrage would have been not nearly as impactful from a voting standpoint. Hmm. And I would have been able to use this show as a mechanism or a vehicle to explain the common sense or the logic of these platforms. Yeah. And the community would have heard it it would have resonated with the community and voters, and the outcome of a lot of these races would have been very different. Yeah, I sincerely and genuinely mean that. Mm-hmm. Carly Wagner makes this point. Some food for thought, fellas. The 2023, listen to this. This is important. Mm-hmm. This is from Carly Wagner. Carly Wagner, you are legit. I've never met you, but I can see why you're good at your job. She says, some food for thought, fellas. The 2023... 2024 Albemarle County Public School Transportation Budget is $16,800,000. This year's ACPS Transportation Budget is $16,800,000. There's roughly 14,000 students. That means $1,200 per student. Although many kids walk and many 11th and 12th graders drive themselves within this division, so it's probably closer to 10,000 students. Maybe kids that had bus service, she says, cut off should receive a transportation voucher for $1,200 per student that helps fund their transportation to and from school. That is a damn good comment. Yeah, well, that ties into a lot of the comments that you were uh, pointing out to me where some people are angry with, uh, with Alana Smith for, for the business, business that she has started. Some people are angry that she's profiting off of families or that uh, lower-income families uh, might not be able to afford a service like this. And, uh, and a lot of the counter-arguments were, you know, why are you getting angry with this woman? Tom Stargell made that argument. When you should be getting angry with the school. And some people argued, well, parents shouldn't be paying her. The school should be paying her. But how do you how do you make that happen? Yeah, how you can't and, make that happen. And so, yeah, I think that it, this is a, a perfectly elegant solution to the problem of you know the school not being able to you know take care of its own you know stuff. Uh, and I want to re- I want this comment to come out uh, come up at cocktail parties this weekend, Carly. This is maybe the best. Co- and you've left some amazing comments on this show, Carly. 
what you when you are getting into that stratosphere for me of uh, of of John Blair and Deep Throat and Neil Williamson, where when you comment, I like read it really closely, and I'm excited to read it on air. She says, "Here's some food for thought. Bring this up at cocktail parties this weekend." The 2023-2024 Albemarle County Public School Transportation Budget is $16,800,000. There's roughly 14,000 students in ACPS, so that means $1,200 per student. Then she says many kids walk and many 11th and 12th graders drive, so it's really only 10,000 or so kids roughly that are using buses and that $16.8 million budget. She says, how about for the kids that did not receive transportation, they get a $1,200 check written to their parents. And that $1,200 check will help offset the cost of the privatization of transportation. Yeah. How many months are in a school year? Is it nine months in a school year? I think it's different different now than it was when I was. I think let's just say nine months. Twelve hundred dollars. If they got a check for twelve hundred divided by nine months is one hundred and thirty three dollars a month. That would go a long way to the privatization of transportation and covering those costs. Yeah. Ten dollars. She's charging ten dollars round trip there and back. Each month has how many school days? Five days a week. Four weeks in a month. Five times four is twenty plus add an extra two or three days because there's, call it 23 days, right? 23 days. 133 divided by 23 is $5.80. That's a lot of one-way trips and a lot of round trips in in, uh, Alana Smith's model. Carly Wagner, that was fire right there. Love that comment. Tom Stargell says, and Tom Stargell's a retired educator, a Golden Apple Award winner, Tom Stargell, at ACPS. He says, perhaps you will address this, but you have ignored the school board and Haas taking the opportunity and stretching it today to promote and implement CRT, a woke agenda, and a de-emphasis of academics, false equity and diversity, abysmal discipline policy, gender emphasis, no emphasis on SOLs and the complete failure of all of the above. Tom Stargell, I'm paraphrasing for Tom Stargell, a Golden Apple Award winner, a retired teacher from ACPS. He's saying Dr. Haas and the school board are prioritizing DEI over actual academic performance. Yeah. And discipline in the hallways and classroom. Yeah. I I mean... You know, I understand how that's a, a rough balancing act. Uh, Especially in Almar County. Well, we started off talking about uh, the, the imbalance between, uh, between the haves and the have-nots and how that affects their schooling. And so in a, in a way, I understand the, the idea behind the, you know, this, this, Equality and inclusiveness and, and all of that, but uh, you know, it obviously misses the mark. And uh, if the focus is only on that, and you get rid of the you get rid of the reason for having a school, why have a school? Uh, Carly says maybe even reverse amortize it based on income. 2000 for those under the poverty line, 1200 for 1.5 to 2.5 the poverty line, 900 for 2 plus times the poverty line. 
and brand it as transportation equity. God, that is effing good, dude. Transportation equity. Is that the new phrase we're going to hear? Diversity, equity, inclusion? How about transportation equity? That was effing good right there. Would it, would it be better to hold something like that in escrow to be, uh, to be spent on things like uh, Alana Smith's service? There you go. Because I, the, I, the problem I would see with just giving out amounts of money to families... Is if it's not allocated actually to transportation. Yeah, what happens when... What you happens, go to do it and you buy a, what a bunch when, of bo- bottles of Old English or a big bag of dope. Yeah, and then the kid is left out, you know, left out in, the, in the cold because their, their parents misused the funds... Parents wanted to hit the slopes and drink some OE or some Colt 45 and play Edward 40 hands while hitting the slopes as opposed to making sure their kids got to and from school on time. Yeah. Whereas and by hitting the slopes, I'm not talking about wintergreen and the double black diamonds. <clears throat> Whereas if, uh, if that kind of uh, – if, if the payout was held in escrow, then uh, there would be – I don't know. I, you would have to have some form of uh, – of application accountability for, yeah well some parents would be driving their kids to school and they would obviously need the money for gas they would actually need the money yeah for yeah gas upkeep on their on their vehicles uh other people would use services and uh that money would need to be dispersed to uh to the correct people dylan's rule says on twitter in response to carly wagner's idea he says i don't like the twelve hundred dollar idea i absolutely love the twelve hundred dollar idea dylan's rule also says on twitter a big part of acps's problem is transparency why wasn't there a public process before an edict informing 1,000 parents their kids did not have bus service why are teachers told things at the last minute why were parents of special needs students not informed of a new transportation provider before getting random calls from the new provider? Something is simply wrong at ACPS right now. Yeah. I think it starts at the top with leadership. I think it starts with who we voted onto the school board. Ginny Hu says, I don't have kids in the system and I vote in school board races. Just because I don't use it doesn't mean I don't want a strong program for our nation's future. Some aren't signing because they don't want their name out there or think it is pointless. No doubt. Deep Throat says, I asked what Carly is asking last year of Charlottesville City Council. Deep Throat is interacting with Carly through a DM to me while Carly is on our Facebook group commenting. I love what's happening here. Deep Throat says, I asked what Carly is asking last year of Charlottesville City Council. What happened to the money that was earmarked for buses that never rolled? And why not at the least give some of the money back to the families that are on reduced price free lunch? Damn good comment. And he also says, and the who we voted onto the school board, one of them is getting promoted to the House of Delegates. That's Katrina Coulson. Katrina Coulson is the chairwoman of the school board, and she is, I mean, I'm not trying to throw shade at Steve Harvey here, but Steve Harvey is not going to beat Katrina Coulson in the House of Delegates race. No, Steve Harvey is running against Amy, Amy Lawfer, right? I always, I screw these two up. Hold on. No, Steve Harvey's running against Amy Lawfer. Scratch that. Actually, don't scratch that. I don't see Steve Harvey beating Amy Lawfer either. I got no disrespect to Steve. I appreciate Steve's chutzpah and his willingness to get involved. 
He got more votes than I thought he would get in 2019 against Ann Malik in the Whitehall district. But this is a very blue district. And Lawfer's got serious momentum. I don't see Harvey beating Lawfer in that race. Um, Jamie Turner sent me a DM. He says, Philadelphia is paying parents to take their kids to school. Philadelphia is paying parents to take their kids to school. I'll throw this out there. Dr. Bryce, maybe Allison Spillman, any of the school board candidates, you should maybe include in your platform paying the parents to take their kids to school. At the very at least, least... some plan to get kids to What school. is the $16.8 million that's a pot of money for transportation? Clearly, all the kids aren't getting transportation. So the $16.8 million is not all being used. Right. They don't have a full staff of bus drivers. So it's not being used either on payroll, nor is it being used on bus routes, nor is it being used by keeping buses on the road or filling up their tanks of gas or covering their wear and tear, anything like that, right? So if none of that stuff is being utilized, payroll, gasoline, wear and tear, or routes, where is the rest of the $16.8 million going? Yeah. Dr. Bryce, Ms. Spillman, other school board candidates, should we not ask that question? Hell, board of supervisor candidates Michael Pruitt, TJ Fadeley, Brad Rickle, rhymes with pickle. Current board of supervisors, where is the rest of the 16.8 million going? Another thing that was nightmarish for Almoral County Schools, rebranding, renaming. Yeah. The rebranding, renaming process was a shit show. You're rebranding and renaming schools when you can't afford to pay teachers or bus drivers wages for them to live in the community. And not only are you rebranding and renaming schools when you can't afford to pay teachers a fair wage or bus drivers a fair wage or janitors a fair wage, keep schools clean and safe during COVID, but you're doing it in such communistic fashion where you get people to volunteer their time, where you issue surveys to parents, and 90% plus in one circumstance school, parents surveyed, Meriwether Lewis, 90% of parents surveyed said, don't change the name. Still, they formed a rebranding committee. The rebranding committee initially came out and said, we don't want to change the name. Then Dr. Haas got involved and said, guys, we're going to change the name no matter what no matter what the survey said, and no matter what you said. And I need you to now to watch this video on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I understand you're adults, but you can't leave this effing room until you watch this video on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Walks out, locks the door, and makes them watch the video. Volunteers, adults, being brainwashed by the superintendent. Is this an, is this, uh, Is this Ho Chi Minh? I feel like it's- Is this Ho Chi Minh? Is Dr. Haas Ho Chi Minh? I don't know about that. Do you know who Ho Chi Minh is? Yeah. Who's Ho Chi Minh? He's, uh, is he uh, Cambodian? What's that? No, Vietnamese. Ho Chi Minh? Yeah. 
Ho Chi Minh, Ho commonly Chi Minh known as Uncle Ho, President Ho, and by other aliases, was a Vietnamese communist revolutionary politician. He served as the Prime Minister of the Democratic Republic of Vietnam from 1945 to 1955 and as President from 1945 until his death in 1969. Ideologically a Marxist Lenin, he was the Chairman and First Secretary of the Workers' Party of Vietnam, the, prede the predecessor of the current Communist Party of Vietnam. He ruled with an iron fist it was Ho Chi Minh's way or no other way. Dr. Haas utilizing Ho Chi Minh strategies with the rebranding. Okay, I'm going to ignore the surveys and the fact that 90% of the people want to keep Meriwether Lewis the same. I'm going to form a name consideration committee. The name consideration committee comes back with, with um, keeping the name the same. Then Dr. Haas walks into the room with the name consideration committee and says, this is a name changing committee, not a consideration committee. And you guys have to watch a, a video on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Walks out, locks the door until they finish the video. And then he says, this is gonna go from a vote where we say what we want by raising our hand and publicly and voting with our mouths out loud to a secret silent vote where only I get the results. I was That's a effing Ho Chi Minh. I was just going to say it sounds like one of the nightmare scenes from the movie Brazil. I mean, it just sounds absurd. Absurd. Yeah. Two adults working for free. Giving their time to what they think is a good cause for the school and their kids. Yeah. And they're roped into this absolute uh, nuttery. It's crazy. Sorry, I got a I got a tenant. We got a tenant that locked themselves out of the office. Oh man. In less. No problem at all. We will finish in less than ten minutes and unlock the door. Bill McChesney says Dr. Haas is more like Mike Signer, head of the capital of the resistance. Albert Graves says there's a lot of money that ACPS is spending and not being held accountable for with their reckless actions. Carly Wagner responds to Albert Graves, look at the rapid expansion of per-pupil spending and the simultaneous decline of the schools across all aspects under Haas. ACPS is a premier case that case study that provides money ain't the solution. Over $18,000 a year spent on students within ACPS. Did you hear that? Over 18 grand on average spent on each student per year within ACPS. Ho Chi Minh. God, I haven't thought about Ho Chi Minh since Mr. Joyce's UAP U.S. history class in the 11th grade at Walsingham Academy. The Ho Chi Minh Trail. Ho Chi Minh. Oh, God. I'm going to catch some flack for that. Um, all right. What were the lower thirds I sent you? All right, let me look at them here. Civil activists and their manufactured outrage. I think we've talked about that. We should talk about how we met here in a matter of moments. Holly Foster. Holly Foster, I'm going to tag you here. Holly Foster asked us to tell the story of how we met. 
in Judah, it's been, you've been working here 12 years, over 12 years now. I looked at the first paycheck. It was June in 2012, though. No, June 2011. I looked at the first paycheck. Okay. Yeah. Holly Foster, we are going to highlight the story of how Judah and I met for the first time per your request. We love you, Queen of Henrico. I do really appreciate Holly Foster. Um, so we covered the concerns we have with Almoral County Public Schools since the COVID pandemic. In conclusion, one, remote learning did not work well, and as a result, that created number two, the gap between children with resources and no resources widened. Three, mask implementation or requirements were absolutely disastrous, the cause and effect, and we still do not understand the collateral damage of impressionable teenagers and middle school students and elementary school students having to wear a cloth over their face for two years, what that negatively impacted them from a learning standpoint. Yeah. Four, transportation, bus driver transportation and its offering worsened. It became less approachable, less ubiquitous, and less reliable. Five, the level of support for Dr. Haas, the superintendent of schools, is at an all-time low, so much so that there's a petition circulating with nearly 1,000 signatures demanding that his contract not get renewed. Six, schools have become an absolute political battleground. There's political landmines everywhere within public schools. A greater clip of political landmines when it's come to schools may be in the history of Albemarle County. Mm -hmm. Seven, rebranding and renaming. That process was an absolute shit show. Yeah. The rebranding and renaming process and the tactics utilized to make sure rebranding and renaming actually transpired was symbolic or on the same level of some of the tactics that Ho Chi Minh used while ruling and, and, and controlling Vietnam. Eight, I would say teacher, instead of teacher, why don't we do employee quality of life and satisfaction is at an all-time low within, within ACPS. So much so that teachers are quitting. I think Tom Stargell, was the number 200 new teachers? Was that the number for this year alone? 200 new teachers within ACPS, Tom Stargell? Do you got that number for me? Golden Apple Award winner, someone who knows teaching inside and out? Was it 200 new this year, Tommy Starge? Please let me know if you can. I would say teacher satisfaction is at an all-time low right now. Nine, I would say students on screen time is at an all-time high. You know the thing that my son does that I despise the most? Our oldest son. His addiction to screens. It's like literally a drug addiction, dude. No doubt. He can be on the iPad watching YouTube and these damn kids are watching other kids play video games. Yeah. It is the most sad and pathetic thing I've ever seen. Literally watching other kids play video games instead of playing the video games himself. And he can be where Judah is sitting right there. Go to the studio camera so people can see how close we are. Uh, I don't think it's going to show me. Well, you can wave. Are you waving? Can you turn around and look at him? 
That's where Judah's sitting. What are we, six feet apart? Yeah, give or take. He could be on an iPad six feet from me, and I could be screaming his name. Hey, hey, you, hey. And he doesn't even acknowledge or hear me. Damn. Because he's so zoned down on what he's watching. To think that schools are, to think that students are using screens at an all-time level of frequency and clip right now is terrifying. Well, I just read that there's outrage that uh, schools are getting rid of phones from kids. That are what? Uh, yeah, Charlottesville Public Schools yeah. have banned cell phones. And the manufactured outrage, there it is again. Well, the crazy thing is that the outrage co- is coming from parents. That's an activist, Charlottesville. They, but Another example they of manufactured be, they outrage. Be, they can't be all of the outrage, can Dude, they? If I mean, I kind of understand, but at the same all time, all schools should be no cell phones. Centuries, kids went to schools without phones. That's what I'm saying. Like centuries. How often? I, it I wasn't until the last ten years that kids had s- cell phones in schools. I can't think of a single time when I was in school that, <laughs> like, I would have needed to call my parents or they would have needed to call me. Like, there if you, you had something going on the office would call you to the office and your parent would come and pick you up or whatever it was there was never any need for kids to be i i just it baffles me and uh i i get what you're saying about your son but the fact of the matter is you're giving him a scream you gave him that i know and it's a fine line uh, not so fine a line. I mean, tell that to my wife at six o'clock when she's trying to make dinner, and there's a five and a half year old and and an eight month old, and I'm just coming back from work, and I'm not there yet, and she's trying to make dinner for the family and needs to occupy or preoccupy our five and a half year old while making sure our eight month old is safe while boiling water, cooking a fillet on a 400 degree or wherever how hot the uh, cast iron skillet gets. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I get it. But again, people have been raising kids for as long as there have been people. And I mean, when I was five, I was running across the street to the park and goofing off on the swing set. Oh, me too, dude. I was told every year for Christmas and birthday, we got one big gift. That's all we got. One big gift and then maybe some tiny trickets. Those big gifts for Christmas and birthday were often some kind of sporting goods equipment. Uh, a, a, a driver or a racket, like a tennis racket. A driver for golf or like a football, like a super sweet football. Basketball, soccer ball, whatever it was okay. be. And it was like, go outside and play. Don't come back till dinner time. I don't want to see you until dinner time. Has the world become more unsafe? No, I think we're just more aware of it. And because we're more aware of it, we're less willing to tell our kids to go out and play and not come back till dinner time. Because my mom and dad, they literally said, we don't want to see you till dinner time. I would legitimately leave at like 8.30 in the morning and come back at 6.30 at night. And my friends and I were not only riding our bikes all over the neighborhood, we were leaving the neighborhood and driving our bikes all over the town or the city. 
I went to the mall. Like 25 miles away from our house. I didn't go that far. Literally. But I rode my bike to the mall in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, my friends, I had three friends that lived on the block, either across the street or the same block. And these were long, giant city blocks. And I'd go and, you, you, know, you know how my dad got us to come home? He whistled. I'd be playing in my friend's backyard, hear a whistle, and be like, oh, that's my dad. I got to go. And I go dashing home at, you know, 6.30 in the evening. And uh, I, you know, it was just, we went out and did stuff. That doesn't mean that bad things didn't happen or could have happened. My sisters were getting stalked by some guy in a, in a, I don't know what the, it was like a, you know, like a dollar store, basically. Uh, you know, it was like six or seven blocks from our from our house they were probably i don't know they're probably like five and seven six and nine i don't know but uh you know they basically went inside and said yeah there's a creepy guy like following us around carly wagner says this sadly there's a legit reason cell phones should be in schools and it's school shootings they cannot be ignored it's many parents worst nightmare we cannot act like it's not a legitimate fear I, Jamie I, Turner says in response to Carly Wagner, my freshman year in high school at Woodbury Forest School, we did not even have Wi-Fi in the dorm. He also said, you got caught with your phone. It's gone for six months. Wow. Juan Sarmiento, the king of transportation, says, watch the overall scores go up when the phone policy is in effect for the school year. And he says the parents' argument is ridiculous, the ones that are saying schools should ha- allow cell phones. Albert Graves says, the same as phones not in schools 20 years ago, parents didn't have tablets or phones to give their kids to keep them occupied. But like everything in life, the times have changed, just like I could ride my bike all over Seville when I was a kid, but I wouldn't dare let my kids go out of my eyesight now. Signs of the times. I want to close the program with the story of how you and I met for Holly Foster. It's not a very exciting story. I think it's an extremely exciting story. Really? This is like, we're like the odd couple right here. Judah doesn't like being around people. I love being around people. I don't mind being around people. It just uh, depends. You don't like being around people. It depends. When I'm here at work, I don't get to choose the kind of people I'm around. No. You've, you've said on previous shows, you target the self-checkout line at any store because you don't want to interact with the cashier. Those were your exact words. Yeah, mostly. But you've also said, like, when we used to go, we used to have um, a satellite office in New Providence, New Jersey, where we would service clients. The Autism Institute of New Jersey, New Providence, me, you, and Maggie would go. Ugh. You would get. Remember, Maggie would come with us. Yeah, I know. You'd get a per diem. I think it was a hundred dollars a day. And I'm like, all right, we, we're going to work from I think eight, it was 50. No, it was 100. We're going to work from 8, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 6:30 p.m. And after 6:30 p.m., I'm like, let's go to the bar. Let's go to the bar. And you would say, I want nothing about going to the bar or hanging out with people. Now this is where you're going to throw it about me. Make it yeah. about me. Well, not just you, but I've been sitting in an office full of people. Uh, most of the time, uh, taking video of, uh, of testimonials nonstop, all day long, also trying to get my regular work done with you tending to be angry at me half oh, the time. Oh, come on. 
And then with like a half an hour to like go home and decompress. All right, all right, I get it. You want me to drive you I to a bar so that I can spend the next four hours at a okay. bar with you? I, the point is That's you like and I are very, you and I are very different people when it comes to interacting with others. Definitely. I think that's safe. Is that safe? Yeah. I crave it. I search for it. Right? Yeah, probably. Okay. So you say the story is not very exciting. I think it's kind of exciting. <laughs> this was 13 years ago, over 13 years ago. Because remember, initially when we met, you were not working for the firm right away. Right. You've been working 12 years this past June, so it's now 12 years and two months that you've been working for this firm. 13, 14 years ago, I met him when I was first launching I Love Seville. And one of the ways I was getting the word or the brand I Love Seville out into the community was hosting I Love Seville trivia nights at local watering holes where I legitimately would host trivia at bars. I was paid cash, off the books cash. I was given a free meal, had an open bar tab, and I was a single male. It was literally fantastic. Here's a wad of money that you don't have to report. Here's a free bar tab, buy drinks for girls if you want. And all you have to do is promote and talk about your brand and keep people here spending money. It was literally one of the most fantastic part-time jobs ever, especially as I was struggling to build a business and had no clients. So one of the accounts that hosted I Love Seville Trivia was um, the Lazy Parrot Grill and Kevin Kirby. It was so successful that when the Lazy Parrot had two Lazy Parrot locations in the same shopping center, there was one at the end cap and there was yeah. one, the smoking one, in the shopping, deep in the shopping center. Kevin Kirby, the owner, said, I want you to host trivia three times a week. Man. One at the smoking one, one at the non-smoking one, and then a third one that you would cross-mingle across the others. It was that successful. I love Seville Trivia Night. So while hosting I Love Seville Trivia Night, this is 14 years ago. Like, I'm legitimately in my mid-20s. I'm given a wad of money, a free bar tab, and a free meal to start before trivia to keep my belly full so I can enjoy myself as absorbers for the free bar tab. Literally, he said, you can buy drinks for anybody you want. It's fucking awesome. So in the process of hosting I Love Seville Trivia at Lazy Parrot, the smoking one, mm -hmm. Judah Wickhauer would frequent I Love Seville, or would frequent Lazy Parrot uh, in the Food Lion Shopping Center of Pantops. And I kept noticing this quiet guy in the corner. Everybody else was like ripping Jaeger shots, taking tequila shots, and getting hammered. And Judah was sitting in the corner on his tablet, on his iPad, with a stylus... Chain-smoking camel lights. I don't know about chain-smoking. Smoking a boatload of camel lights. Still smoke too much. The only one of the habits you have that I utterly dislike. It's expensive and it's gross and it's bad for you. I don't understand it. So here he is at a quiet table away from people on a tablet with the stylus doing essentially art and graphic design for his own personal enjoyment. And he would randomly answer questions, often the most difficult questions that no one in the bar would know. He would get them correct. I don't know about that. It's, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. 
And then eventually I'm like, who is this guy that is sitting in the corner by himself, drinking buckets of Corona, chain smoking camels, and using a stylus on an iPad doing graphic design? I'd say more often than not, I just had a sketchbook, but yeah, eventually I got a... And then I went and started talking to you. I'm like, I got to learn more about this person. So I go over and I say, can I see your sketchpad and your iPad with your graphic design? And you were very friendly. You are a very friendly person. You're like, sure. And then I swipe through, like say this is the tablet, I'm swiping through the graphic design and then I'm flipping the pages of the sketchpad, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy is talented. This guy has got incredible artwork and graphic design skill set. And at that time, I was like, I don't really have a graphic design and artwork skill set, and I, I'm subbing this service that we provide our clients out to subcontractors to get the job done. Interestingly, at the time, you were in between jobs. Remember? Yeah, at least, yeah, part of that time I was. You were in between work. So after doing Lazy Parrot, I Love Seville Trivia for an extended period, seeing you a few times a week, you became one of the frequent attendees of Trivia, almost there every single time. Yeah, once a week at the... The, just the Lazy Parrot Grill. Yeah. I, well, I was, no, you started coming to the backyard one as well. No. I, I distinctly remember you coming. I've only been there once. All right. We'll say once a week, so we're not splitting hairs here. So once a week you were attending. So I would see you all the time. And then eventually I'm like, you want a job? You said if you can teach yourself how to, how to build WordPress websites, uh, I'll give you a job. And I, I said, all right. I said, figure out how to do this. Initially, what we were doing was building websites for people. We immediately, for clients, we immediately pivoted away from that work because creating a website, unless it's a complicated one, we build a ton of websites for realtors. They're complicated because it's an integration of a, uh, of a number of different softwares that you have to utilize. But for the most part, a small business needs a six to ten page web, six to ten page website, and there's so many out of box solutions now that it's pretty easy to do on your own. So I said, do this. You teach yourself this. I'll put you on salary. You got a full-time job. And Judah's one of the best problem solvers I ever met. Literally taught himself this on the fly. I taught myself. Taught yourself. CSS and HTML and. InDesign. Enough PHP to get by. Adobe. Well, the Adobe products I had some familiarity with already. What he is is a problem solver. And then we work extremely well together. I do the business, the negotiation, build the brands, put folks together. My wife handles receivables, payables, scheduling, the minutia I don't necessarily want to do. He does a lot of the execution. And when the three of us don't bang it out, I still have that network of subs that helps us do the work. You got one up top the totem pole, two lieutenants, and a robust network of subcontractors below us. And it makes for what I would say is probably the most prolific and profitable advertising agency in a 300,000-person market. And it's translated into this network where we're the only true influencers in a 300,000-person market that's doing it pay-for-play in a building where we have 24 tenants in, including one who's now waiting in the hallway that is locked out. 15 and a half years 
I've been doing self-employment and getting up every morning and figuring out a way to pay, pay the bills. Holly Foster, the queen of Henrico, that story was for you. Thank you for asking the question. Uh, back left hallway, Allison is currently in the waiting room waiting for you to bring the backups keys to let her into her office. All right. I think we should do that. Thank you kindly for joining us. Tomorrow is David... Uh, Trecarici. Trecarici, the owner of Skuma Boutique Dispensary. We're going to highlight how he has pivoted his model now that Governor Glenn Youngkin has made his business, a boutique dispensary, even more difficult or arduous to function or practice. David Trecarici, tomorrow, along with more storylines and topics. This is the I Love Seville show. For J-Dubs, ladies, this man is single, and he's ready to mingle. My name is Jerry Miller. I'm not single, and if I mingled, my wife would chop my balls off, so I don't do that. And this is the Thursday edition of the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody.